We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. It's the end of the 21-22 season. You've got myself, Alex, Cy and Ben and Norman to talk through well, one of the best Newcastle United seasons in my life. Maybe the best. We're going to get into it. We're going to do a full season review, talk about the moments that mattered, what happened and why. We're on Patreon for £6.60 a month. We've got so much end-of-season content coming up over the next two to three weeks. I don't know where to start with it. Come and join us. Transfer content, looking back content, content about the owners. Help us out. Join us on Patreon for £6.60 a month. Let's get right into the show then, lads. Let's talk about this this season, which is over, which is so hard to talk about because so much has happened. And I want to kick us off, lads. This season, to me, when people talk about what happened during the 21-22 season, was it the takeover? Was it the manager? Was it the performances? Was it the great escape? Was it Bruno Gamares' back flick at Southampton? For me, it was the season that Newcastle United and its supporters were emphatically proved right on every single level. I cannot think of a support more um, degraded, more put down, more lied to, more laughed at than our support before and during this season, but particularly before the season. We were right about everything, and this season has proved how big Newcastle United Football Club are and how big they will be. In particular, lads, we were right. We knew that this football club would take off as soon as Mike Ashley left the club. Be careful what you wish for. Ashley's done a great job. Load of fucking shite. And we knew it and we said it and we've been proved right. Look at us. Look at Arsenal at home the other night. Look at 11th place. Look at 49 points. We knew what this football club could be without that man and his people here were proved right, were emphatically proved right about the manager. Steve Bruce is doing a good job. Steve Bruce, it's the players, it's this. Fuck off. It was absolute (laughs) bullshit. We have been proved right, lads. And that gives me a lot of satisfaction and a lot of pride. And the fact that it's such a happy club, it's such a happy place to be, that we've achieved, as use the word we, fans, players, owners, manager, that we've achieved the impossible, that we've done something that's never been done before. All of that was inevitable to me. I knew it was going to happen. I knew that the football club was a sleeping giant. You knew that this football club was underperforming in every single aspect of its existence. And I'm just just so proud, so proud that we've we've done what everyone said that we couldn't do. So Ashley's gone, Bruce has gone, Charlie's gone, they've all gone, and it's that that's that that's the key to the 21-22 season for me. I'm delighted Stabley's here. I'm delighted Eddie Howe's here. All the lads are here from the owners and new players. Fantastic. But the important thing for me is the people that were holding the club back have gone. They'll never be back. And we were right. Do you have confirmation that Lee Charlie's gone? You just said it there, but nobody's actually had the proof that he's still not somewhere embedded within within the club, like in between in between the walls, for example. I'm sure that he's <laughs> still going to be lingering, waiting, just waiting for the opportunity for greatness again. But no, mate, um, you're absolutely spot on. We've been banging this drum for years. Newcastle United is a, is a football club, the potential that it has. We've been saying, if Mike Ashley was, a, was as good a businessman as that he's you know purported to be, then all he had to do was invest a little bit in this club to make a lot more money than he was making rather than the, the pathetically minimal amount of money he put in the club and whatever it is he got out of it. I don't know how much profit he made. I don't know what it, what it gave him in terms of financial satisfaction. I'm, I'm assuming the mental satisfaction he got out from it was minimal because he was widely detested for the most of the time that he was here. Um, and we've been saying this for years because, you know, I like me, I, I, I remember Liverpool at home, I think in 95, this might have been, or 94, 
the stadium capacity was 36,000. So I think 2,000 tickets were on general sale. And apparently there were over 30 odd thousand applications for those tickets, which meant that at that point in time, we would, we would have had 70,000 in the stadium if we could. That's Newcastle United. We've known this for a long time. If this club has a modicum of success, and I'm talking a modicum that is being a top six side for three or four seasons consecutively, if we had a 75,000 capacity stadium, would fill it out. We've been saying this for years. We've been saying that the players we've had at this squad, the nucleus of players we've got, are way better than the performances that people see on the pitch. It's down to the coaching. It's down to the lack of investment. It's down to the fact that the training ground of the facilities are falling apart. As soon as we get that that minimal investment to take us to the level of a top 10 Premier League side, the fans would be on board. There'd be a United fan base and whoever is running the club would make a lot of money from it because success brings you a lot of cash in football and we were right you're absolutely you're absolutely spot on mate and given the ambition of the new ownership i don't think it's wildly ridiculous to envisage five years doing the line that we are playing in front of seventy thousand people if we get a stadium extension I, I don't i don't think that's an exaggeration um you lads might think i'm talking hyperbolically here but I'd like to hear some agreement. Please give me the agreement. Otherwise, I'm just going to have to walk off this podcast right now. 100%, Norman. Yeah, I, I cannot disagree with the word you've said, Norman. I think that there's even more you can say in, in the same direction, to be honest. Um, everything you've said about the players, correct. We never thought these should have been battling relegation, treated properly. That squad was always good enough to do what it has done, obviously with a bit of reinforcement, but they've proven that they're better now because we've added players. We've already exceeded what the original group of players could have done with a normal manager. Um, I think what you're getting from the two-way relationship with the with the support again at St. James's Park has added to that as well, which you just weren't getting at any time in the 14 years prior. Um, you know, it, it is like a 12th man, and we've always said that about Newcastle as well, is that that crowd can make every bit of difference if only the team and the club are trying, and they, they are trying now, and that's the, the, it, it builds that relationship, and we, we have the same kind of impact on on how the season's gone uh, in my opinion i think that the crowd and the and the support and the energy generated in, in newcastle and at the stadium has added even more to the small amount of success we've had in, in getting ourselves to safety and the success that will come totally agree lads and like i said the 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 future is so bright but it, it could have been bright before now but okay it's what's done is done but I, but I do think I do think like Norman says over the next few years you will all you will see is what Newcastle United always should have been and I'm just really really proud of the fact that everyone in the country it was almost like everyone wanted to see us relegated because we didn't appreciate Mike Ashley which is a strange thing to say but it's true particularly in the media then we didn't appreciate Steve Bruce and we were absolutely fucking dreadful because of those two people um and essentially, I think that what Newcastle United have done this season is miraculous. It is it is miraculous what they've done, what they've achieved. And ultimately, we're just getting started. They already hate us, and we're just getting started. And the 21-22 season, I think, we'll look back on in years to come is like the catalyst of what came next in that little beautiful period when... It's like the away fans of Burnley, and I thought this was really harsh on Burnley because you know the song was "You laughed when we went down." You laughed at us when we went down. Well, who the fuck is laughing now? I don't think Burnley fans particularly were laughing at us, but fine. Sunderland fans, it applied to, but it, but it almost that that applies to the whole media, a lot of the rest of the country who reveled in our decline and our continued decline. And well, you're not laughing now, are you lads. You're not laughing now. Sorry. Let's move on to part two of the show. Uh, big word for you this season, I think, has been improvement. Why don't you talk to us about that in the context of the twenty one twenty two season? Yeah, well, it, it it follows on from what Norm was saying there about the the squad of players that we, to be fair, since since before Steve Bruce, that beneath the squad of players that Benitez put together to get us kind of stable in the Premier League was exactly that. It was a squad of players capable of keeping us stable in the Premier League. Now Bruce did everything he could with Mike Ashley and and the rest of the club, just just pying off any idea of trying to ruin that. And a lot of these players went back backwards to the point where I thought they might not be able to recover but the weird thing we're saying about improvement is quite a lot of those players have improved back to where they were two and a half years ago after declining so hard under the previous manager I'm talking about your Sean Longstaffs I'm talking about the likes of Dubravka who, who who've kind of had setbacks but looked really good especially towards the end of the season again um the the people that I mean player of the season Joe Linton who saw that coming who on earth saw that coming now 
that that whole Steve Bruce sort of saying that Joe Linton was his signing and then revising that and saying, no, 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 he was signed before I came and now actually it was a really good player. You just didn't know it and you didn't know what to do with him. That's that's unbelievable. Emil Kraft. In fact, I, I can't name one player on the team that hasn't um, improved significantly. Maybe Lascelles, but he hasn't really played much and even even the games he's played towards the end of the season, we've won, we've kept clean sheets. So you, you could even argue that Lascelles has got better. Um yeah, it's it's been unbelievable. Every every aspect of the club has improved. Its relationship with the fans, the the stadium um, atmosphere, the match day experience. Improvement isn't just the playing staff. It's everything about Newcastle and everything about Newcastle United. The way um, the, the the club interacts with the media, the way the club interacts with the supporters, improvement is just again, as you've said, we're, we're what, eight months in, and that's what how far we've come. Just to get us back to. What, what looks like a respectable football club and I can't see it not going in the same direction at the point where we're just back up there where, where we belong. No, I totally agree with you and there are so many players, so many players to talk about improvement. I think I think a key one to start and it's Newcastle United's player of the season is Joe Linton. Yeah. You know, the, in fact, I put a tweet out earlier today ahead of this podcast wanting to know what you, the listeners, um, Thought in terms of maybe not your moment of the season, but what you take away from the season. I got a really good one from um, um, someone called Christy Methan, um, who said Joe Linton's performance, but then Sean Longstaff's subsequent interview after the Man United home game, when Sean Longstaff stood there and said the people that have called him out in the media are an absolute disgrace. It was just a new Newcastle United. Mm. It was like that that wouldn't have happened before. The you know Sean Longstaff, well done in your new contract, Sean today, by the way, but. Yep. If Sean, if Sean Longstaff says that previously, he probably gets bollocks by the club for having a go at Sky or having a go at the at the, at the, at the, the individuals who are so pro Bruce and pro, pro Ashley. Um, so so Joe Linton in terms of improvement, and it's a funny one, isn't it? Because people talk about and lots of people said this to me that that Norwich home game was a crucial one because that's the first game that Joe Linton gets put back into midfield, and people are saying if, if Kieran Clark doesn't do what does he do? Do do is Joe Linton, you know, a bit a part-time player who occasionally gets in ahead of ASM on the left-hand side of, of the front three. But I think Eddie Howard already spoken to some journalists and, and, and dropped hints about seeing Joe Linton further back. But, you know, we've all eaten humble pie. My me pie isn't that humble because he was shite. Like, you, like he and, wasn't. And you're still not all the way back either, are you, Dodgy? Let's be honest. <laughs> I love Joe Always wanting more. Oh, well, yeah. He's got enough goals just, for you. But, but the reason that I want him to score more goals is because he can. It's because yeah. he has the, the the talent and the ability. Like Sean Longstaff can't, and they're they're competing for the same position. Joe Linton's that good to come back as Newcastle United's Player of the Season, and to still retain that belief and to be so difficult to play against. Just feel proud to watch him. You feel like, apart from Man City, anyway, feel like like any game that he plays in, we're not going to get beat. He's not going to. Joe Linton's not going to stand by and watch we get beat by fucking Villa or like I don't know, like Burnley, like. Obviously, Burnley nearly like killed him to try and get him off the pitch. But yeah, in terms of improvement, lads, I don't know if you want to talk about other players or or anything like that. I just I think Joe Linton kind of embodies. It's almost like Joe Linton's career has depended on the takeover, and that you know it just shows you the kind of how the fact that Bruce couldn't get a tune out of that, the, like it just yeah. it makes you realize how far we'd fallen. On the one hand, an unskilled manager like Steve Bruce, I can understand not not getting that out of Joe Linton because I don't think there's anyone comparable to what Joe Linton does for us now. He's not he's not like he's not a holding midfield. He's not like an Angolo Kante, a Claude Makélélé of old. He's not just that. He he does link up the play. He's an all-out midfielder who does everything whilst being absolutely massive and bossing people off the ball. Like he's more like a Patrick Vieira, maybe, but. With, he has got that ability to score goals. He has got skills. He's got a brilliant touch, and he's, he can link up really well with our forward players. So he's just he's just so talented, and I just it has taken a while to work out what his position is. And I still think there's question marks about what is his best position now that he's got his confidence back, and now that Newcastle are getting better, can he start pushing them back up the pitch? And like you say, Dodzy, can we get a few more goals out of him because he's definitely got that in the locker. And whilst this season was all about the graft and it was all about breaking down teams and fighting for for scraps and for points, that shouldn't be the case going forward. And for Joe Linton to be part of that, maybe we don't need him to do that job as much and we need him to evolve again, which is a big ask for a player who's had to go through so much and has come so far. But yeah, I, I think that's in his locker and that's why he's so interesting because 
he, he doesn't didn't and still doesn't quite have a position. He's like he's he's basically a unique footballer who you can build a team around because it is like it'll be known as the Joe Linton position. I think he's 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 got that kind of talent where you'll be describing as playing the Joe Linton role and other players will be compared to him. I think there is there is aspects there though where you can see he has continued to evolve. I mean, you look at that. I mean, obviously the, the Brentford game where he, he scores a towering header and it, it was brilliant, brilliant goal. But I mean, even... So he, he's got that in his locker, I think, to be able to get into the box more often. He probably doesn't do it enough. And I think that's where obviously you're coming from in terms of your point and to have had more goals. But I mean, even just that that goal against Arsenal, the Wilson... Well, the own goal, sorry. I still think it's Wilson's. Don't care <laughs> what I've seen. My eyes have betrayed us uh, with a flick off uh, Ben White. But um, it's a brilliant run and, and yeah. the ball the ball's such a good ball that White, there's nothing he can do other than he's got to get something on it. If he doesn't, Wilson's there anyway. And I think that it'll be interesting to see where he can because obviously he must have that in his locker. I mean, we know he can't, he, what that was kind of that forward left was his position in Germany. So, and, and we've bought him on the back of how good he was in that position. I mean, we spent 40 million on the bloke like it's not as if he he hasn't shown shown any kind of ability to, to be able to kind of impact at, at that end of the pitch, but he's just so strong. I mean, he obviously he's not necessarily the, the quickest player, but he's 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 technically so good. Like he's got a bit of a trick in him as well. He can beat a man with some good footwork and stuff. So I think that's where I think his evolution will come is that being able to kind of put that on the pitch kind of further up. I think so far we've kind of seen seeing the good footwork around midfield when he's getting out of tricky positions to then spring attacks and stuff. But I think it's then getting him further forward um, in positions where he, he can beat a man and then whip a ball in for someone or or vice versa. I mean, he, he's shooting as well. I mean, surely he can, can get better with that as well. I mean, he's, he, he can hit a ball. He can hit a clean strike as well. But I haven't seen him kind of smashing any in yet. But I, I think he's got it in him. So, yeah, I think he's, he's as you say, I mean, he, he is embodied kind of Newcastle this season in one player. If you could kind of characterise this season in one player, it's the turnaround of fortunes from <laughs> looking at like dead and buried, basically. I mean, I was adamant we were getting relegated and then to turn it around so unbelievably as is and get player of the season. And obviously it's it's just such a good story. What you're, what you're saying there, lads, makes me think that Joel Linton could play apart from in goal. He's probably good in goal. He could play any position on the pitch. Do you, like he really could. Now, obviously, he's an attacking player, playing centre back or playing right back. But you could do worse, lads. You get a red card, Joe Linton, hoying it right back. We've, I was yeah. going to say we've seen other players. I mean, your your beloved Musa Sissoko <laughs> playing left back and right back at, at his times. Uh, Newcastle. I mean, I, you could see Joe Linton going in and doing a great job at that because who's going to get past him? Yeah, he has played. He's got to be one of the few players in that I've seen. He has genuinely played centre mid. Left wing, right wing, centre forward, both sides, centre forward alone and played behind Callum Wilson. He's played all six forward positions mm. on the pitch. Um, yeah, so we salute you, Joe Linton. What a season, mate. And if, if this is the start of his career of, at this level, then then wow, watch out other teams next season. Norman, mate? Just quickly on Joe Linton there, what you sell, Alex, I mean, all of a sudden, I'm just thinking of the legendary Johan Gufran. You know, I think uh, Joe Linton got potential <laughs> to, to, to reach those heights. But uh, no, I spoke about Joe Linton um, on the podcast with Warren Barton last night and just how good he's been, everything you've said there, lads. I totally agree with Sai, I think your point on him not necessarily having a position, almost creating a new position in football is probably the biggest compliment you can play him. Like, I, I I don't know what his best position is, but I just know that the position he plays in is fucking vital. So yeah. that tells you, I think, all you need to know. Um, I'm going to get a little bit off from Joe Linton here just because I want to talk about another player who I think has been incredible this season and it's Fabian Shea I think we when he first signed for Newcastle from Deportivo La Coruña for three and a half million pound we saw him initially he looked a bit lost defensively but then he, he felt his way into it and by the end the the three at the back with him and Lejeune either side of a of a Jamal Lascelles him and Lejeune were, were, were spectacular they were for a very short period absolutely fantastic and Bruce comes in clearly doesn't know how to work with centre-halves who can actually play football and Shea's star starts to dim ever so slightly and by the end of it Bruce doesn't rate him at all and Eddie Howe comes in and Shea's straight back in the team and what is what I find interesting is that Shea's played more games this season on, and under Eddie Howe than he's played in any other season at Newcastle this is the most Premier League appearances he's made in one season we know he's had injury issues but a lot of the time it's just been because he hasn't been selected I think his performances have been incredible and if you think about, if you think back to January, I think Leeds away he was absolutely magnificent that game. Alex, we were there, so we were there. He was, he was brilliant, right? Yeah. And that was a real turning point in terms of performance. 
in terms of Newcastle United this season. Shea, I never thought, given the Saudis taking over, given the money that's going to be pumped in the club, that he'd be a player who might get an extended contract. He's just signed on the dot line for two years. That's the confidence that obviously how and the coaching staff having him. He might not be first choice, but if we've got four centre-halves centre-halves to rotate or to challenge each other, the fact that he's in the squad makes me happy because I think he's a brilliant player. And in terms of players of the season, yes, Joe Linton, of course, because you've had the kind of Lazarus resurrection style player and the fact that he's just gone from being nothing to being one of the best players in the country in a short space of time. But in terms of consistency, I think Shea's been Shea's just been brilliant. It's almost like he's He's been like a revelation. Someone I never thought would have a career at Newcastle beyond this season is probably going to be here for the next two. I think Fabian Scher is one of the players, most of all, who saw through what was going on under the previous manager. You know, I think he said after that Brentford away game in the Cup, um, that was shit. When asked by Newcastle TV what, you know, his assessment of that, that was shit. Didn't try to sugarcoat it. And he's probably someone who, you know, working under Rafa Benitez, you know, playing across Europe like he has, um, it was accustomed to certain levels. And this is the thing Matthew Philpott today in a blog he does for the True Faith website wrote this, lads, and I think it's really good. And he says, um, uh, improving your worst player, even by a little, yields much better results than upgrading at the top end of your squad. Um, that's a really good point for me for this conversation because we haven't even mentioned Eddie Howe yet, really. Um, when Eddie Howe comes to Newcastle United after 11 games, five points on the board and bottom of the league... Everyone's talking about January. We're going to fix everything in January. You can't fix that in January. You can improve on it massively, and we did, much to the fury of many, and we did. But you can't fix it. You can't fix an entire football club in January. It's not It's not long enough. It's not. There isn't enough time. There aren't enough players. There isn't enough money. What Eddie Howe has done is improve, like you said, Si, every single player in the squad, not just to what we knew they were capable of, but to levels that... Maybe I think even some of the players didn't know they were capable of. You're talking about Fabian Shea, you're talking about Emil Kraft in particular. Uh, I think you can extend that to some of the some of the players coming off the bench. Like Jacob Murphy's been playing vital roles. These are players who um, just just you, we, we didn't want them to see them playing for Newcastle again. I think Ben, you want to talk about John Joe Shelby, and I'm sure we'll, we'll do a bit more on him. But like players who we had all written off as they've lost it, they're gone, and we knew that Steve Bruce was probably part of the problem. But we thought that some of these players were past the point of no return and, and, and weren't going to be able to do a job for Newcastle. And we've, we have been proven wrong um, about writing some of these players off. But like you say, like you say um, it just didn't seem possible to, to have this impact on, on existing players that, that has happened. I mean, you, you mentioned there, so the, the one I want to say was Shelby. And I think you, you mentioned uh, there, Norman, about the Leeds game. And, and that's kind of perfect to, to kind of sum up how vital a, a, a Part Shelby has played for for this team, and obviously he gets the winner against Leeds, um, our first goal. And I did I, when he's stepping up to hit that free kick, I'm just thinking, oh, like this this is absolutely going nowhere. And yes, you can say that the keeper kind of gives him an assist, um, should should probably save it, but um, that was a, a massive massive kind of turning point, I think, psychologically for this team. And um, and you see the evol- the evolution of Shelby from that point. And I think Shelby, when we first signed him, I, I absolutely loved him. Um, as a player, I thought he was always one when he was at Swansea. I felt like he would be brilliant for Newcastle. And he's such a good technical player, but the role he was being asked to play f- under Bruce was so far removed from what like his strengths. Um, it basically was killing him. And, and I, I mean, I was very critical of him because he just wasn't fit enough to play. And it didn't look like he was athletic enough to play in this area of football anymore because you, you look at every other midfield around the Premier League they're, they're athletes first and foremost, and then they're unbelievable at football, whereas Shelby's kind of just looked like, well, he's brilliant with the ball on feet, but he can't really do anything else. But then you look at the role he's he's played at Newcastle, basically became undroppable um, because of his performances, with the like, keeping the likes of Bruno, a £40 million Bruno at the team when he first arrived. Um, he's When he's been fit, he's been kind of one of the mainstays in the team. And, um, there's a reason why he's a leader within this this group, and I just think... He, he embodies the work he's put in to get his fit, fitness levels up to, to be able to match. And, and, and that's the thing. It's, okay, he's maybe not uh, a long... He's not going to do your lung busting runs like Joe Linton and, and Bruno and, and Willa can do, but he does his graft in that kind of centre of the pitch where he get, gets about. Um, his tackling's improved. I mean, we've not really... Since Howe's come in, his, his discipline hasn't really been an issue. I mean, we, we know he loved a rash tackle when things were getting a bit against us. 
you kind of were waiting for him to throw, throw his toys out. We haven't seen any of that, so he's matured. I just think, again, he's another player that has thrived under under Eddie Howe, being able to, to get back to what he's good at and, and playing to his strengths, but then also has has that had that improvement that you've talked about with other players where he's now up to a level. And, and yeah, again, you would say like he, he, he has a future at the club and he's talked about it, obviously, in interviews and stuff, but he's a player where we're kind of thinking, well, he can't really, he, he probably won't be a part of anything going forward because it's kind of, he's hit his level, but I don't think he has, there's, there's clearly more there and the performance he's put in have been brilliant and he's he's been a key part to that dominant midfield that has allowed us to to dominate games. He's a great example of um, of, of transformation because it's been a transformative year for the football club. John Joe Shelby was maybe the most unpopular footballer ever at Newcastle in terms of like not, you know, out and out Kieran Dyer-esque abuse, when, you know, but just in terms of like everyone you spoke to thinking fucking John Joe Shelby, like again, like can't be arsed, lazy, won't apply himself. I, th- I think that's the key, isn't it? It was that it was almost like the attitude was being questioned with Shelby, yeah. uh, more than anyone else. And and how it, again? It's like to to transform like Emil Kraft, Joe Linton, Jacob Murphy, like all these lads and more. Ryan Fraser, you're probably not going to get a shout tonight. Ryan Fraser, but Ryan Fraser's become you know undroppable when he plays. He's turned John Joe Shelby, Shelby into a really good Premier League midfielder, and he was far from that. And his his sending off against Spurs, it looked like the end of his career. You, you thought, whoever he brings in here is just going to fuck off John Joe Shelby straight away. And he's class, Norman? Well, first of all, I mean, you know, we're all massively praising what Howe's done with the players that were there when he arrived, but he still hasn't solved the riddle of Dwight Gale, so I'll hold that against him forever. But um, <laughs> in terms of... Um, and then just quickly on John Joe Shelby, I, for one, I'm shocked that Steve Bruce's decision to play him at centre-half had a negative effect on his ability to play football. Um, that's something and I don't also, think... And also, and also not train. <laughs> well, exa- exactly. Um, look, Shelby, I think we know, is a player who needs a certain type of manager and how is very much the manager that Shelby needs. And I still think at the age that he's at the position that he plays in, you've got two or three seasons of him being absolutely superb. I don't doubt it for a second. But I'll just quickly say... One of the things that I've admired about how, and I was, I was reflecting on this yesterday on the podcast with uh, Warren Barton and Mark, is his bravery. He's taken some really big decisions. You always got the impression that Bruce wanted to be liked by the players. And one of the reasons he got away with the Charlotte knack as a football manager for so long is that he gave players a lot of time off. He kind of let them dictate how they worked ultimately. Whereas how, a bit like Rafa uh, to a certain extent, I think Hell's a lot more lovable than Rafa. Rafa's a lot more of a, a kind of machine. But ultimately, if players are learning from someone, they can kind of forgive the fact that they're not necessarily this sort of loving grandfather type figure in their life. And how basically, um, Matt Ritchie, he played him a few times when he first came in and then he just dropped him unceremoniously. Dropped him. He was on the bench, but he never really brought him on. That was a big decision. Ritchie played for Hell at Bournemouth. He's a very, very important part of Bournemouth's um, climb up the league. He was a very important part of Newcastle United's squad for five or six years. But how just went, you know what, he's not good enough anymore, and, and that's it. Um, I'd also add Ferdia Fernandez to that. Ferdia Fernandez, again, much like Richie, a bit of a fan favourite. In fact, I would say that when he arrived, if somebody asked you who's Newcastle United's best centre half right now, most of us probably would have said Ferdia Fernandez, and he didn't put him back in the team. There was obviously something there that just wasn't quite right, wasn't going to work for how, and he dropped him and he barely featured. And finally, I think the big one is the club captain, Jamal Lascelles. Under any previous manager, the reality is Lascelles, if he wasn't injured or if he'd been injured or suspended, probably normally would have walked straight back in the side. It didn't happen under how Lascelles fell out of the team after injury and that was it. He was more or less done. And I think those decisions that Howe took showed me that this is a bloke who's gone into that training ground, regardless who's there, and said, right, I'm in charge and what I see are guns. There's no favouritism. There's just, if you fit into my system, if you do what I want, if you play well enough, you're staying in the team, regardless of whatever reputation you might have. Brilliant points, Norman. Brilliant points. And and, and and that feeds into a lot of discussions over the summer about the team and the squad next season. Eddie Howe is ruthless. All good football managers are ruthless. And I'll add Kieran Clark into that. And I'll add Isaac Hayden and Jamal Lewis into that. None of their worst nightmares, I think, would they have thought they wouldn't have made. And I know, I know, injury has has a role to play in two of them. They never thought they wouldn't make the squad for the Premier League. I would, I'd, you know, you said to me, is a Isaac Hayden and, and Kieran Clark, who started almost every game before the takeover, going to not even make the squad. 
Eddie Howe says, no, they're, they're just not, they're not good enough. They're, they're, you know, Hayden's injured and that might play a part of it. But still, you know, I think Hayden accepts that he's going to have left the club. And one of the things before we move on and have a small ad break is uh, that I like about Howe is he's his own manager. And one of the criticisms um, at Bruce by uh, a couple of people I know and journalists were, you saw Bruce very animated on the sidelines, but only for spells in games. And other times he was kind of pensive and watching and it all seemed like an act for the cameras. So the team's getting beat. So I'm going to get on. I'm going to bollock them. I'm going to say, fucking hell, lad, get up the pitch, fucking run, like and all this kind of stuff. None of that from Eddie Howe. You don't even notice him on the touchline because he doesn't He doesn't need to do any of that bullshit because the team is meticulously prepared, well-trained and professional. So you don't need any antics at the sideline. You don't need any tirades at referees or kicking off at other managers or, 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 or trying to make it about you or any deflection. Um, it's just that uh, he's just a really, really, really good manager. Um, I, th- I think you, you notice Eddie Howe on the touchline when he's literally got a player to give proper instruction to, and then you see something change about the way we play or, the, or where that player is. On the, he's very, very meticulous, and he only gives instructions when there's an instruction to be given. Like you say, there's none of this bollocks. Go on, try harder. Get, get at them. It's it's. <laughs> he, he calls a player over and gives them some instructions, and then something changes, and you see a tactical change, or you see that player go, all right, okay, and then the position changes and he's telling them, like, you need to be here or you need to be up that line or you need to be behind him. That's the only time he ever gets off his seat. Otherwise, he just, just manages. And like you say, the team trusts the team to do what they've been instructed to do from the start of the pitch. There's no, after five minutes, well, this isn't working, yeah. which we saw so many times and I've heard that previous manager say, but yeah, um, it's it's brilliant to have that much trust in your manager, isn't it? Just want to build on Sai's point there very quickly on how giving instructions from, from the touchline. And this ties back to what, we were talking about at the start when we were talking about, you know, the, the press telling us how good of a job Bruce was doing. We're not stupid. The majority of you as United fans, we're not stupid, right? Now, we were told continuously when Benitez is in charge, what's he done? Like, what is he doing? He's not that good. He's no better than Bruce. His points aren't. This, you know, he hasn't got as many points as Bruce or the similar, whatever it is. But as fans, we now, we now, when a manager knows what they're doing, this is the big difference, right? It's not someone on the sideline gesticulating for the cameras, shouting at players, doesn't really know what they're doing. It's all a bit of an act. When you look at how, as we did with Benitez, and we can see a manager who, who's reading the game as it's progressing, who's thinking constantly through the game, who hasn't just made a pre-match plan on a Wednesday, and then if it doesn't work five minutes in the game on a Saturday, oh no, what am I going to do? I'll tell you what I'll do the next game. I'll just change the formation. We're talking about a manager who thinks in real time. And as fans, we can see that because... Newcastle United fans are not stupid and how watching him on the sidelines, it it lifts you right because you know, even if we're gonna go all doing, this is a bloke who's thinking, who's talking with these assistant coaches, who's talking to the players, who's gonna change something, and who isn't just gonna panic and start shouting. Um, so for anyone on Talk Sport who who says that Steve Bruce did just as good a job as Eddie Howe or even the, the manager before Steve Bruce, well, mate, it's time to just leave media, isn't it? Ultimately, leave media because <laughs> you never know what you're talking about. We are going to break now for a couple of adverts. If you don't want to listen to the adverts and you want to support this podcast and everything we do, join us on Patreon, £6.60 a month. We'll be back after these. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Sai, let's kick off this this second part of the show then. It has been a fabulous season. It's been a wonderful time. But it hasn't all been lovely. It hasn't all been fine. It, you know, in that it, that it's maybe relevant, I think, for us to talk through just how tough it got earlier this season. You want to talk about how remarkable it is, how many supposed points of no return there were. Yeah, I mean, there was loads, wasn't there? It felt like we were done so many times a season and that's not just me being hyperbolic like and it wasn't just oh it's Bruce and all the doom and gloom of Newcastle United like statistics and previous relegations re- relegations showed us that we were done and that it was nigh on impossible to come back from where we were um I've got I've got five maybe six um key points in the season that that were were critical to me as as, as points of no return um obviously pre-takeover it was it was probably the first time I thought that this season was going to end in, in relegation with Southampton at home. Now, that was a weird game. I think I was with you, Ben, for that one. Um, we took the lead in the 90th minute and then still didn't win the game. And everyone came away a bit confused because I think it was our fourth or fifth game of the season. We hadn't got, I think that was our second point. Um, nobody knew what to think because we hadn't played well. We'd, we'd basically scored two smash and grab chances and still... First point. First point, First point yeah. Um, and it was like, if that's the best we've got, if that's us sneaking a, a point at home to Southampton. And Southampton battered were. Yeah, the and they did, they did. We didn't, we didn't deserve anything out of the game, but because we'd scored so late and then conceded, everyone just left the ground confused. Break, I think. Um, no one was happy or sad, and I was like, this feeling is weird and bad. It's bad that people d- just feel disengaged because it was like, yeah, where's plus, this season going? Plus it was like 43,000 hours. Yeah. Yeah, pathetic. That's the first time for me it started to feel this feels like a relegation season. It really did. I think most people start to think these these players are much, much worse than they were when we finished the season in May and, and it was very, very strange to watch. Now, journey forward, we've had a takeover by this point, but it's already looking difficult for any manager to come in. Eddie Howe comes in. I'll, I'll, I'll disregard the Graham Jones defeats. Like the, <laughs> the Chelsea game was awful. The Spurs game was awful. What do you mean it was awful? The plan worked. Graham Jones <laughs> comes out afterwards, like, learn from Bruce. Well, the game plan worked. The most important thing I want every fan to know here is the game plan worked. Could be fucking 3-0 at home by, yeah. like, what turned out to be a really average Chelsea. Yeah. Um, and then and then we line up against Brentford. Eddie Howe's first first home game in the dugout, or so it should have been. And then he catches COVID. And you just start thinking, this is our look now. It's, this is how it's going to go. You start thinking... Where all of the Steve Bruce look has flipped on its head and it's we're doomed here. And um is dollars and that says and he hoys one in and it's just like yeah, this is fucking three in me. Right. <laughs> yeah, Ivan Tony just like absolutely shits all over defence. It's just it was a it was a bad game to experience whilst being quite energetic and, and fun for a neutral and, and enjoyable for the fact that we've we've had a takeover, we've got new manager and a new coach and stuff. It still felt like oh shit. By full time it was like oh shit. Newly promoted team. You don't you don't get to, I think it's like the end of November, middle of November, having not won a game, play a newly promoted team at home, fail to win. You don't come back from that. Teams don't come back from that. So that, for me, was another point of no return, in spite of the fact that we've only just hired Eddie Howe and, and the, the future's looking bright in some respects. You're thinking, this season's just, it's not possible. The, the job is impossible. Journey forward again, I think just the following week, <laughs> Norwich. Oh, well, you know, I think we had Norwich... Um, Brentford and Burnley in the three home games in a row, yeah. didn't we? Not in that order. Um, we played Norwich. Kieran Clark had sent off and you think, aye, here we go. This is it. This is the, the bad luck. It's just going to continue. Eddie Howe's got no chance. And then, I suppose, by the end of that game, you felt like the spirit was there and you felt like the fact we got ourselves back in the game, scored an equaliser and the, the performance was so good. Did we? I think yeah, we were in one Yeah, Either way, we got, we got a draw with 10 men for like 90, uh, 89 minutes, whatever it was, or 88 minutes. Um, and yeah, you just thought, but then we failed to beat Norwich, who were the only team in the league worse than us. Again, I think by this point, we've got three points, maybe four points on the board. It's, 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 you're getting into December. <laughs> like, that doesn't happen. You don't, you don't come back from that. And then, and then we took some hammerings, didn't we? <laughs> we got battered off. Um, we, we beat Burnley, but then we got battered off Leicester, 
Battle of Liverpool, Battle of Man City. And now, yes, the, the performances were getting gradually better. I thought there were signs of a team that was trying and trying to do something different. But the fact that we got to Christmas, because Man City was the last game before Christmas, on a 4-0 defeat, still having only won one game and still in the bottom two and just looking. You, 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 at that point, you're thinking, right, one, what are the chances that anyone good's going to come and sign for Newcastle? You're going to have to throw some serious money at this too. Eddie Howe, he's still learning the players and they're all, they all look shot. They all look devoid of confidence. In spite of trying new things, nothing appeared to be working. Now, the Man City game probably wasn't a 4-0. I thought we gave them an all right game, but we still got swept aside with relative ease. And yeah, we went into Christmas in, in a position that no one's ever, ever survived from. So again, point of no return. And then what, two weeks later, we've, we've got Cambridge in the Cup. All right. It's a chance to kind of win a game of football and just just put ourselves back on the right foot. And what did we do? We turned in the most shoddy, naff performance. We're, we're probably the better team, but it was a typical kind of poor game against a, a lower league side, and it just made it embarrassed us. It embarrassed the players who had a chance to kind of earn their place in this team. And it was like, hang on, I think it was that Trippier's first start yeah. in the Newcastle shirt, and it's like that was meant to be a big occasion, and it was it was soured by losing one nil at home to Cambridge again. Everyone's looking at well, if we can't beat these, who are going to be, how we're going to get 35 points or whatever we needed at that point to get to safety. It didn't seem possible. And then the following week, we'll turn in a really naff performance against Watford. I think I'm, I'm under five points in a return now, but Watford, that draw, for me, I was like, like we're out of time now. We've run out of time. Um, if we can't beat Watford at home with three months to go, we're done. I, I think I think most of us on this podcast, after the Watford draw, said it's over, it's done. We we will not stay in the Premier League this season because it's it's impossible to to see where the points are coming from. And we're, that, on, just like, we're on eleven points at that point. Eleven points in what Watford was what, end of January? Yeah. You're uh, thinking mid mid January. Yeah. Th- you're thinking three three, four months to to absolutely turn this football team upside down. I d I didn't think this was possible. I thought it was done. I thought it was absolutely over. And I went to Leeds with you, Dodgy the following week and Norman and um I didn't go with much confidence and yeah, it just, it feels like a different lifetime. Even that just traveling to the Leeds game with so little hope for the rest of the season feels like a different lifetime. And I just, I'm, I'm enjoying reflecting on how dark it got so many times this season and knowing where we've ended up. Really good list that, some dark days there. Um, really interesting. You've said a lot of things. A lot of the games you've picked up on there, again, you know, I, I agree I never really gave up hope, but I could understand the people who did. What all of those negatives, and Ben, you're going to talk about this in a second, so lead on to you here. All of those negatives are actually positives when you look back at it. So that Man City game, for example, um, and let's let's face it, right? In that Man City game, Eddie Howe probably would go five at the back, but he can't because we've only got two fit centre-backs. He has to play Matt Ritchie and Jacob Murphy as conventional fullbacks, not yeah. as fucking wingbacks. Do you hear him? And, and Newcastle are absolutely conned by VAR and the referee. Yeah. The fucking pair of them. Still angry about it. And you don't hear Eddie Howe at the end of the game coming out saying, oh, you know, the referee. And yeah, he's asked about the decision. And he, but he just says, I think he says, I didn't see it. You know, Arsene Wenger-esque. But you don't hear Eddie Howe um, saying, you know, uh, we've got no chance in these games with the referee performing like that. You don't hear Eddie Howe saying, well, what am I supposed to do with this group of players who've got too many injuries? You don't hear any how after Cambridge, and we talked about it. He doesn't hammer the players. He he probably will at some point in the future, but he doesn't hammer the players. And it's all leading into a greater narrative of responsibility, accountability, and a broader game plan. And, you know, Bill Corcoran tweeted me to say that moment in the 90th minute um, of Man City when the people left in the ground, and there was like 40,000 people left in the ground, just decided to sing, sing and get the flags out again doesn't happen at most football clubs. It's not supposed to. It's, these kind of things are supposed to break your spirit and they don't. And that's that's what Eddie... And Eddie Howe's to take nearly all the credit for this. Um, you know, even the... And let, let's come to you, Ben. You know, someone tweeted me, uh, the E-Wing Paddock um, said... Um, sorry, uh, St- Stephen Hodgson said, Brentford at home, it was manic and crazy, but there was fight in the team. Mm-hmm. And the difference in approach to playing, he knew would be okay. You wanted to make the point, didn't you, Ben, that despite January and despite the whatever it's been, like, 14 wins or something or uh, since January the third best fourth best team in the in in the league um you saw enough before January to say this season is actually going to turn out okay I mean that obviously with how comes in on on five points um 
And it, it's not so much about the points. I kind of felt like, I, I can't remember the point. Yeah, I mean, you could probably go back and listen to some podcasts and see, but I, there was a point where it kind of turned for me, I was adamant we were like, we'd, uh, so what for a lot of the season, I thought we were down, we're done. And then there was a point, and I can't remember which game it was, but where I felt like, actually, we're not dead and buried here because... I can see, and, and you know what the players are capable of. We've, we've already talked about kind of what they've done in the past. The, this squad of players, we all believed before the season. I mean, we were talking about, I, I, I'm sure I predicted that this, this team was capable of getting 11th in the league um, based on their ability. And and we, we just felt like they just had to be given the tools, given the support, given the instructions to, to go out and deliver on the pitch. And they just weren't getting that previously. But then you saw that Brentford game. I mean, and we hadn't we hadn't really scored. I don't think we'd scored more than two in any games up to that yeah. point. Um, <laughs> that was against Southampton. Was the only other yeah, game we'd done? It. Yeah, but so Southampton we scored two, and oh, I think we West scored Ham. two at West Ham West on the Ham. first day. Yeah. Um, I mean, what a start of the season though. I <laughs> Wilson scores after like two minutes or something. We think, oh, this is going to be class, and obviously we ended up losing four two. But that it was just there was as I said, it, there was just such a malaise about like the, the those games where it was like, well, I didn't really come in a way like furious because it was. I don't know. It was just there was there was a bit of kind of expectation there of, of that's probably where we're at. But as the minute Eddie Howe comes in, and obviously he's not at the Brentford game, but you can see he's starting to, to kind of put his his um, footprint on that team. And I mean, he makes some big calls. I mean, that we we were all <laughs> critical of of Darlow starting, and I know that was obviously interestingly kind of a, a key point under Bruce the year before was kind of the the Bruce Dubravka went to bring Dubravka in, and it was kind of an awkward. Um, part of the season but straight away he comes in and, and installs Darlow in and okay we, it turns out it's probably a mistake he, he does he hoys in at least two of them in um, but at least there was a, a fight there I think up until that point it didn't look like we knew how to score goals we didn't really have a plan to to kind of break teams down and you saw straight away in that Brentford game and they'd had a decent start of the season it wasn't as if okay they, they, they kind of started to fall apart at, at a point Um until obviously Eric comes in and to kind of turn their turns their fortunes around, but that that wasn't necessarily like a, a banker game, and it wasn't a, a massively easy game. And that that the, the fact that we were able to score three goals there, and, and it looks like there's a bit of a plan there, and then we build, and obviously it goes on from there. Obviously, the um, we we get beat off Arsenal two 0 but it's it it it's not. <laughs> I think Arsenal would have batted where far worse uh, under Bruce. Um, and you kind of see that the, the, the instructions, the players are actually listening. They're starting to kind of get a grasp of what it's going to take to, to play for Eddie Howe. Um, and then obviously we, we, we'll go and get uh, our first win of the season against Burnley. Um, and it just, it did feel like things were changing. Obviously, size just mentioned there. It was kind of around that time where we'll have some really t- difficult decisions. But that, I mean, that Man City game, I mean, talk about adversity, you'd... You concede a daft goal after five minutes. I think Kieran Clark. I so think you're ducks, Kieran. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Kieran Clark ducks under a, a cross, six yards out or something. It's like, <laughs> you, you, why, what, what the hell are you doing? Obviously, we get that Stonewall penalty, which I think would have been it was two 0 at the time. I think so. Would have got all back in to two one potentially to that game, and and it's probably it should it, it could potentially be a red card. You don't know. Um, oh, the, the, he the, absolutely the, wipes out Fraser. Yeah, yeah. nowhere near the ball, and it's just a, a, the most joke decision I've ever seen. But you spot on that the, the reality is is that even though we lost that game four nil, there was a lot of things that you could point out to say. Well, actually, like that there is still progress there. Um, and I think the big thing, and we, we talked about before, was that and and Bill Bill is spot on to, to kind of raise that point that the reaction of the crowd like. Uh, and to be fair, a lot of the crowd had had kind of dissipated at that point. It wasn't as if it was still a false in James Park, but those that were still there thought, fuck it, like, let's get behind the lads. And that atmosphere is one of the best atmospheres I've ever been involved in. And, and we, we stayed back for it and, and were part of that. And it was unbelievable to be part of. And you thought 4-0 down, but this is what the fucking fan base is doing for these lads. And you could see that had a massive impact on, on Eddie Howe and the players. And it kind of taught them that, Yes, we've had a tough patch and it's been really difficult at this point, but we're, we're with you and we're going to be that 12th man when you need win. I think that it gives you confidence. And the big thing for me was that that was the, the thing that I think was devoid in the team was there was just no confidence. There wasn't any backing of the players to say, you are good enough to compete at this level. Every press conference Bruce came out was, was oh, well, we're just up against a better team. It was almost like three, three cheers for Ramirez every week. It felt like it was just a joke and, he was kind of disparaging all of our players and saying, well, how can we compete with these teams or whatever? 
Whereas Hal came in and straight away said, no, 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 that's not good enough. Like we, we can compete. And I think the fact that he built the confidence so quickly and then obviously with the, with the fan base there as well, it's very, very quickly we started to see um, that kind of the fruition of that in there. I just think that was kind of a vital point and obviously we'll go, I mean, the, the rest of it is kind of legend, but um, just it was it was key. And I, I think it's a really, really interesting one. I don't necessarily think Eddie Howe would have been my first choice in this position we were in, but whatever he did in his interview and, and bought, got the buy-in from Amanda, I mean, that's one of the greatest decisions like anyone could ever make because he's come in and absolutely smashed out the park. Well said, really well said. There's so much to go through there. We don't have time. We'll cover it on a lot of Patreon pods. But, you know, a lot of people have, have referenced to me on, on social media that Man United game, um, the the Norwich game. And, and every time it got bad for the team, the fans didn't give up. Because it's easy as a footballer, isn't it? You know, Eddie Howe comes in. Who the fuck's Eddie Howe? As, as Steve Bruce said, that fella who got Bournemouth relegated. If you're Joe Linton or your Fabian Share or your whoever, Martin Dubravka, and you think, who the fuck's this? But we're getting battered here. But the fans are still with us. They could see the incremental improvements. And then, Norman, I want to bring you in. And, and you know, one of these games is post-January, uh, but we still only had Kieran Tripp here at this point. But, the, you know, the two big wins for the season, mate, and there are fortunately lots of wins to talk about. The two big wins of the season, mate, are Burnley and Leeds, aren't they? Absolutely. It's interesting, everything you've said there, lads, because... I think what it reflects is that there were moments under how after the takeover that we felt like we're getting relegated and then you're saying up and then you get relegated and then you're saying up and it's only the last couple of weeks we have been reflect reflecting on how how I probably instinctively felt at certain points. And like you, Alex, you know, you said you never believe we're getting relegated. You always kind of you know, you always had faith would stay up. I, I don't know if I could I could say I felt the same. There were points where I genuinely thought this is it, but ultimately I look back at the points where I thought, no, no, we will stay up. Burnley was one of them. I remember how we felt after the game. Wilson's brilliant goal. I did like a little post-match Twitter video. I think you recorded it. It lasted about a minute and a half. And if I look back at it now, the the joy that's in my face at that point reflects, I think, the belief that surged through us. I thought, hold on. The players are on side. The manager knows what he's doing. The fans are on side. We haven't even got the transfer window yet. We've just beaten a relegation rival. Something something must have kind of flipped that day to me. And obviously, we've mentioned the, the results after that, right? The um, disappointing draw with Norwich, the defeat at Man City, defeat at Leicester, defeat at Liverpool, Cambridge. But obviously, we had the manual performance in there, which was excellent. And then we went to Leeds, and that Leeds game was absolutely huge. I don't even think now it's possible to to kind of explain in words just how big of a game that was. And guess what? We pulled it at the bag. The discipline the team showed that day under immense amounts of pressure showed me that there was obviously something there. There was something that was heading in the right direction that meant we would end up where we ended up. I never thought we'd end up 11th, don't get me wrong, just purely because I didn't think we had enough games to gun. But I knew we'd avoid relegation. And... Putting those two games aside, I'll tell you what for me is that the, the thing that made me believe in avoiding relegation more than anything else was the fact that Kieran Trippier signed for her. Kieran Trippier left Atletico Madrid, who was still in the Champions League at this point. A man who was playing under Diego Simeone. He left Diego Simeone for Eddie Howe, right? And he came to a side that was second bottom in the Premier League without, with, with one win on the board. He wouldn't have signed on Newcastle United if he didn't believe that we could stay up. And if Kieran Trippier believes that we could have stayed up, then who am I not to believe that? That for me was the key, the absolute key in flipping the switch in me that made me think we're going to be our eater. But Burnley was Burnley was 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 the day where if if you didn't beat Burnley, um, I think a lot of fans would have would have think well we're down now because I think it would have been fifteen games or sixteen games without a win. Burnley were poor side relegated, um, but again Burnley after Norwich. The, the the crowd turned up again. There was no hard feelings about Norwich. There was no, there was. I feel across the season, I, I don't know how it's happened, and I don't know whether it's just Eddie Howe, or whether it's the owners, or whether it's the fans, or whether you know the players. That there's been a kind of, even despite our perilous position, there's been a kind of this is in our hands. If we if we take responsibility for ourselves, we're going to be okay. And the the, the the one of the smallest things of the season, I feel, which immediately got Eddie Howe on the right track, was turning up for work at 6am. Now, 
does it matter when your manager comes to work or that if he's there 12 hours a day? Of course it doesn't. You, you, it's going to be judged on results. But after the previous manager fucking off to Portugal during an international break rather than staying with the players who he'd failed to garner a win with, um, it just it just felt like, oh, well, here's a manager and here's a culture of accountability and responsibility. And you, you can't get footballers to do what they do in terms of the ground they cover. We've got to be one of the hardest, if not the hardest working teams in the Premier League. We're so hard to play against. We were the easiest team to play against in the country. We were the easy. We were so easy to play against, and to transform that, just I think it just gave even before the results and the performances came, it just gave everyone a belief that, well, if we do go down, we're going to go down trying. Whereas before Eddie Howe came in, we were, we were going down kind of because there was an unwillingness at the club because of the manager and the the previous owner to even try in football matches. And that sounds like a ridiculous thing to say, but that, that's how it came across, Ben. That's a great point as well, isn't it? Because you you think about we <clears throat> the players that were here, I mean, the, the big kind of, the personality I would have said of Newcastle United was they were fighters under the, the previous manager. And for, for a number of years, the, the kind of the, the, the bare minimum would, would got out of tricky situations through fight, would, would had unbelievable results um, to get us out of tricky situations before. Um, and it just felt like their manager didn't match that. He didn't have that fight in him, the the kind of the um, willing to do the dirty work and stuff. And you, you kind of felt like that rubbed off on the players a bit. And I mean, it, he, he rolled up his sleeves really, really far loads true. of times. But <laughs> true. But, but, it, it, but sorry, just finished point. It just that perfectly sums up the fact that you've got a, player, a manager there, sorry, that's setting a, a standard to say, right, I'm here to work you use. And I think, I mean, it was interesting. He talked about Joe Linton the other day saying the first kind of, um, impression he got from him was was how kind of how eager he was to succeed and how much he wanted to work and how hard working he was and 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 kind of he, he relished the, the kind of challenge and he talked about some of the challenges but you you, you feel like that was a, a perfect personality to be in this group and I, th- I think that's the biggest thing for for, for how is that that and when we talk about the recruitment Trippier embodies that he's a fighter he's he's a small wing back that's made an um like got to play for England and but had made an humble career through fighting. And I think every player, even Bruno, has got that in him. And I think that's where they've done brilliantly is, is they've brought the personalities that have come in that have meshed so well and, and have embodied almost Eddie Howe as a manager on the pitch. And I think they've done unbelievable. Well, it's a good way of putting it because Newcastle's shambolic appearance was the same as, as what you think about Steve Bruce as a Premier League manager. Um, no structure, no organisation. Brings on to the final part of the show, and there's so much more we could have talked about, and we will get onto it on the patron shows over the next few weeks. But we haven't mentioned the takeover yet, really, and ultimately that's why we're not sat here or talking about relegation. I feel, you know, or even talking at all because you know, lots of people tweeted me saying the contrast between, say, Leeds at home and Arsenal at home is an impossible contrast. You can't. It's not the same football club. It's not the same. You, you can't have. Leeds at home on a Friday night when most of the crowd spend most of the game demanding the manager be sacked. Newcastle playing shite against a really poor team. And then the manager at full time stood there buzzing that we've got a 1-1 draw like he's proved some sort of points because they had a couple of counter-attacks in the second half that might have created a chance. To Newcastle playing off every single minute of the Arsenal game, Newcastle were the better team. Not So, so not just that they won... But that they were the better team with all of the flags and all of the atmosphere and, and everything that goes with that. Like that that's a transformation that will however long I live, I, I simply as, as much as I feel like I've been part of it as a supporter, like everyone listening to this, that we've all witnessed it unfold. I still can't really I couldn't explain to someone how that's the same football club. But the only the easiest thing to look at is the takeover. And just to remind people about how fucking shite it was pre takeover. Like much of the discourse surrounded fucking court cases and corruption and stuff football fans shouldn't have to care about or get involved in or pay any attention to whatsoever. But that was the only thing worth paying attention to. Doing podcasts um, with you know Yusuf, who writes for True Faith, and he did a podcast with us about arbitration and all this. And it's just like I couldn't, I didn't care about it then. I don't care about it now. But we shouldn't have had to care about it and. Yusuf kind of sums it up for me that one of the the best things about this season is how angry he was at Chelsea away to have lost that game 1-0 against the European champions with an awful referee. And in terms of 
showing how far the football club, Eddie Howe, the players, the football club had come, it's that we had the right to feel outraged that Newcastle should have won that game. Not that, you know, not that we were delighted just to lose by one. Not that we've only lost 2-0 at Man City on Boxing Day last year and Steve Bruce again's buzzing at full time. It's like, there's a genuine feeling of injustice in that the result and the performance mattered and that's like the opposite of everything that Newcastle United were. Norman, me and you, at the start of this season, we uh, we travelled to Aston Villa away and then later on we did Wolves away. And they're, they're two, in terms of the football, they're two of the worst away days I've had following the club, not because of the performances or the results in particular, but because of what they embodied and just how bad it was. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about that, pal? I will, I will do. I just want to quickly say, you mentioned Bruce there taking plaudits as if he's proven every, everyone wrong after a one-all joke at home against a lead side that ultimately sacked their manager and nearly got relegated. Um, the last day of the season, they stood up, by the way. Steve Bruce thought he proved the Newcastle fans wrong after a 2-1 defeated home to Crystal Palace and a 2-1 defeated home to Leeds the previous season. That's how bad it was. We <laughs> lost both of those games, yet we played so well, apparently it proved us wrong. Um, and Villa and Wolves away were particular lowlights. Look, we had a brilliant day on the drink in, in Birmingham both days. Brilliant to the extent that neither of us wanted to get the match. I think we'd rather just stay on the drink in there, the Clifton in Birmingham. It's as, it's as simple as that. Um, it almost feels like two seasons or a period that never happened or was it actually there? Was it not lockdown? Did I just not watch this on Sky? I can't put into words how bad these performances were. And interestingly, Match of the day had the top 10 goals of the season, heavily biased in favour of um, Liverpool and Man City goals, which is frankly outrageous, but they were gone. We'll not get into that. Um, one of the goals in there was Danny Ings's goal against Newcastle, yeah. Villa, the overhead kick. And I watched it and I thought, was that this season? Guess what? It was. It was a month before the takeover. And then I watched it again and I looked at the position of the defenders and Ferdy Fernandes was in there and it was just, it was a catastrophe the, the the marking from the the ball that came in, I think it was from a corner, was a catastrophe. The box was loaded. The players were scattered around. There was no marking. There was no organisation. And as brilliant as a finish as it was by Danny Ings, it was a training ground goal. And that's what Newcastle United were under Steve Bruce. We were a training ground exercise for pretty much three quarters of the Premier League. And to gain from that, a part of the season that doesn't seem like it existed or belongs to another another place in time to what we are now is spectacular and testament to the brilliant work that Eddie Howe, his coaching staff, and Stavely and Gerdusi have done since they come in the club. So, I man, the future is bright. It certainly is, and I think that just about does it for this podcast, this end-of-season podcast for Newcastle United season 21-22. The takeover was transformative. The takeover, the takeover changed everything, but we, all, we always knew it would... You know whether the the, the riches of, of the PIF, whether they materialise into to the kind of transfer spending that people predicted pre takeover. I don't know, but but certainly it was a football club that was only heading in one direction. And I'm just tremendously grateful to to Eddie Howe, to Emil Kraft, to Amanda Stavely, to to everyone connected with the football club that we've done something special this season. And whatever you hear about Newcastle and the job. Eddie's house done. We have to remember that nights like Trippier v Everton at home, nights like uh, Guimara's at Southampton away, nights like Arsenal on the final day, they only happened because of the potential of the football club, which is made by its fan base. That's a fact. There's a reason that these people bought this football club, and it's because of what the football club. I would say can be, I'm now going to say will be, and we shouldn't forget that. Um, we should be proud of that. And and I'm grateful uh, to to everyone who's made it happen. And like you said, Norman, uh, we're just getting started, Si. Yeah, I mean, this this podcast, this season, should all be about um, Eddie, Jason, and the lads and the, and the job they've done. But you've just kind of reminded me that this all hinged on that day in October and what a day that was, the day that the takeovers announced, the day that we were rid of Mike Ashley. Yes, Steve Bruce is still the manager, but we knew that that meant the end of him ultimately, and it would be. I've I've never seen the city of Newcastle. I couldn't remember what it was like to see the whole city bouncing. We travelled in here to, to sit and record a podcast. People in the streets drinking cans on like a Thursday night. The st- the, what was going off at the stadium with Sam Fender and, and 10,000 Geordies with cans just all night. 
the the city blew up because some different people were going to own the football club, not because we'd won anything, not because we'd avoided relegation or got to a cup final or gone to Wembley, because some different people were buying the football club off Mike Ashley. Like that day will will be remembered forever, and because of what comes next, what what a what a sensational time of our lives that was. Lovely stuff. Um, we'll finish it there. Thanks so much. Thanks so much to everyone who's listened to True Faith this season and the seasons before. I'm going to try and keep a free podcast a week over the summer because why not? Because we're not absolutely fucking shy anymore. We're absolutely class. So keep it here. Keep it on True Faith. Um, we're on Patreon, but I, I say it like five times a show. So you, you know that already. But we'd love to have you along with us to hear what we've got planned for the summer. We've got so much planned lined up over the, the summer on Patreon for Newcastle United fans. Thanks everyone for listening. What a football club. What a season. Speak to you all again very soon. Ta-da. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com